I'm Ken Dingle, and you're listening to Framework Leadership. Today, I'm sitting down with Joe Champion. Joe is a globally recognized leader and speaker who serves on the boards of One Hope, Oral Roberts University. He's also part of the lead team of the Association of Rel- uh, Related Churches, ARC, an international church planning organization. Joe and his wife, Lori, founded Celebration Church in Austin, Texas, have been the lead pastors for the last 20 years. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today, Joe. Thank you, Dr. Engel. It's great to talk with you as always. Well, let's start going back uh, to your time in uh, college. You were a football player at LSU, even considered making a career out of it. What what uh, happened to your, you know, the football career? And, and I'm curious, when did you feel the shift in calling to full-time ministry? Uh, talk a little bit about all that transition. Sure. Well, my dad was uh, an NFL coach for many years for many different teams. NFL stands for not for long. So we were moving every two to three years of our life, uh, which was wonderful. Your dad was the coach of whatever city we were in, and that usually made good friends or at least got me playing time. And uh, coached in the Canadian League where I was actually born in Vancouver. And uh, mom and dad were just, they were incredible, great leaders, uh, great people, came out of the Great Depression, raised a general. My oldest brother's a two-star retired Greenberry general. The other one's a retired colonel. And with all that being said, uh, we were raised in a leader's home and just raised to be leaders, raised to just, if you're on this planet, you're here for a reason, even though we didn't know Christ. They knew something was behind the scenes. And so with that, I grew up playing football, and I got uh, I got pretty good at it. My dad retired his last year, was with Green Bay Packers, moved to Louisiana. Uh, actually, my mom is from Natchez, Mississippi, but we built a house in in Louisiana on the Louisiana side of the Mississippi. And um, then I went to LSU, and so I'm my junior year. And, and, and by now, I had, I had received Christ. I had prayed to receive Christ through fo- two football players. My dad was coaching for uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Greg Berzina and Ralph Ortega led me to Christ at about 14. Then I started going to First Baptist Church at Natchez, Mississippi. And I'd hear the preacher preach, and I thought, you know, maybe I could do that. Or I, I would enjoy doing that. I had theater background. In fact, I have a minor in theater from LSU and broadcasting and and then January the 10th, 1987, we had just played in a sugar bowl. And um, uh, I'm sitting on a deer stand. The Lord spoke to me. Today will be the greatest day of your life. And you'll never be the same after today. And I thought I was going to kill the world's largest deer and travel all over the country and, and win all the Walmart big buck contest. And, <laughs> but with that, I knew I knew God had really whispered that word and that those two phrases. Today will be the greatest day of your life. You'll never be the same. And, Four hours later, I got the news. My dad's passed away of a heart attack and uh, at the age of 60. And that shifted everything for me because I knew, I knew the Lord had spoken to me. The voice of God just came so clearly to me, even though it was the darkest, worst day of my life. First funeral I ever attended was my dad's. But out of that came what I know was the defining moment. And so from there on, I just I went from hoping to play uh, professional football, um, or at least coach, you know, with my dad's background and we had a lot of friends in the league at the time. Um, but then uh, it just like, it took the wind out of my sails, anything and everything, for, uh, if you will, for not just football, but really for the, for the world. Um, and went back to LSU and God began to just really move on the football team. We started a ministry that still goes on today, Tiger Church, uh, 
And then uh, FCA, I think, just tells you how bad it is in Baton Rouge. The FCA award, the student athlete for FCA, they they call it the Joe Champion Award. So it's pretty <laughs> sad that they haven't found another Christian since. But uh, that's how it, it shifted. And then moved to New Orleans right after graduating, thinking I was going to prepare to be a chaplain in the military to go to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and began to realize the chaplaincy was not going to be actually what I was called to do. And uh, just began to go into full-time ministry, pastoring, and of course met my wife, and uh, we've been doing it ever since, and we got married in July of 90. So that uh, that day at LSU, my junior year, and I really went back from being the team party captain to to, deem, to the being the team spiritual captain. Uh, it's just a radical shift. Yeah, and, and and to follow up on that, I mean, you 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 said that one day, the day that yeah. your father passed away, yeah, uh, was uh, a catalyst, so to speak, or a confirmation of what God spoke to you even that day. Yeah. How how do people discipline their lives to recognize? Those, um, yeah. you know, events, those kinds of things that this is, this is maybe what God wi- might want to use to speak to you, to transform you. What does it take? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it takes a sensitivity. It takes, uh, I mean, I, I go back to Paul the Apostle. I mean, he was defined by a day. He was defined, as we read in Acts 9, that moment, that time when the Lord appeared and clearly spoke to him and in his, in his, uh, context and i think for me um i would say being being sensitive to that not brushing it off not not just throwing it up as a you know late night pizza run or uh, my own emotions um and then it was signaled i mean for me i guess what happened to me and i like that thought about how do you discipline yourself in those moments uh that those phrases and then my dad dying four hours five hours later just being able to connect those dots and and not not brushing it off, you know. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And I think mm-hmm. we we can we can get hardened not in a. It doesn't always have to look negative, but it can be ah, that's not God. And I could have easily said that's not the Lord. Um, that was my own thoughts, or this or that, or I, I thought this, or I'm creating this whole scenario. In fact, even my brother said, Joe, this is all. This is you handling dad's death in, the, in a religious way because we weren't raised Christians. So we always looked at anything like this to be a false or fake or just uh, just religious in a negative context. Um, I guess I would say you, you can't brush it off. You can't. You, you, you got to be soft. You got to be tender. You got to be sensitive to that moment. And I think God gives us these these whispers, these winks, as people have said. Uh, I think we need to be very careful when we, oh, I can't believe that happened again. That's just a coincidence. You know, I think we have those God-sidences. And uh, and I don't know, I just by the grace of God, and I'm grateful for His grace and, and, and His uh, His Spirit that did not allow me to just uh, just create or just allow this to be something that I created, um, but realizing that God was in that moment and and I did. I had to become disciplined. There were some choices. There were some decisions I had to make. Because um, I was, you know, I was partying hard, living hard. Um, I was a good kid, but but from a preparation for ministry, I was far from that. And I just got down yeah. to business, you know. Uh, um, many are called or few are chosen. In the Greek, that means, Dr. Engel, many are called, but few get down to business. That's literally what it means. 
Few, few take it to heart. So I just took it to heart. I I was going to be that guy. I was not just going to let this be a a moment that it was going to be wasted. Hey, if it took death uh, to wake me up, and of course it was the death of Christ that wakes us all up, then I'm I'm going to I'm going to capture this. I'm going to I'm going to walk it out. And that's what I've been doing since January the tenth, nineteen eighty-seven. It's been pretty interesting. Well, I'm grateful you shared that. I actually ha- have a similar experience. My, you know, first career was in in television, um, sports, and uh, my sister and her husband were killed uh, wow. in a head-on crash by a drunk driver. But it was in those moments mm-hmm. that God spoke to me that He wanted to change my career and wanted to use me in a different way. Um, and and of course, then I went on into ministry leadership, but. God uses powerful encounters and experiences to shape and change the way he wants to use yes. us. So, yes. And I would for- say that the, the, the positive thing is that, you know, my earthly father died that day, but the voice of the heavenly father became so real and so strong that it, it didn't numb the pain or, 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 or lessen the loss, but it, but it did override the, the, the vision in that voice. You know the Bible says that uh, he turned to see, or he turned to um, to see or hear the voice, uh, to look at the voice. When there's there's something in those burning bush moments, we, we've got we we don't just turn to look at it, we, but we also turn to hear it. Um, right, and, and we've got to have a hearing ear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. If we if we lose that hearing ear, we lose everything. That's good. Yeah, you and your wife, uh, Lori, went on to to uh, found Celebration Church. That was what back in two thousand. Um, That's correct. Tell yeah, tell me a little bit about that and and the the visionary drive and calling as you begin to, uh, uh, you know, lead the way. Yeah, I was pastoring for ten years. Lori and I, we were youth pastors and co pastors and senior pastors. Um, and then the last two years, 98 to 2000, I was based out of a church in Baton Rouge, and we loved Baton Rouge. We loved the city. Being there basically was like home. And I was traveling, uh, predominantly speaking. And I knew that the Lord, though, was beginning to put into my heart to pray for the city that he would have us to go to. And uh, I said, you put us in a city that wants to change the world and where we could touch the world from, we'll move there and spend the rest of our life. And and again, I guess the second time I would hear his voice, first was January the 10th, 1987, and the second most dramatic spiritual encounter was a whisper that came like this, it is Austin. Now, let me fast forward. I haven't heard from him since. And uh, <laughs> that word, it is Austin, literally, I came home, I said, Lori, we're moving to Austin. And she said, Joe, I had the same thought this morning. I was sitting here reading my Bible. I was preaching uh, at a church, and that began to uh, get us ready and took a trip to Austin, rode around 2000. At that time, the city was like 1.1 million. Now it's like 2.7. But uh, we felt like that was where we were supposed to go. We put our house up for sale. It didn't sell. We're five months into the, or four months waiting for the house to sell. And then we were going to move. And the Lord said, I'm not going to sell your house until you put your furniture on the truck. Like the priests who had to stick their foot in the water before the waters were stayed. I'm not going to sell this house until you get your get your furniture on the truck. And so we we found a house that was affordable to allow us to actually have two house notes. 
crazily enough. And we arrived in Austin, uh, took that uh, by U-Haul rental. We 10-hour drive and got to here and found out the house. There was an offer uh, on our house back in Baton Rouge. And and that that allowed us, of course, we began to, as we got here August the 10th, we started the church 40 days later. And uh, which is why we helped start ARC, because we tell people, do not start the way we started church, with no <laughs> leaders, with no plan, with no money, no resources, no vision, no launch day. We just started October the 1st. And um, and it was a slow go for the first several years. I mean, it looked as though things were going to not make it. And But, you know, we knew God had called us to it. And we really never lost faith or even joy. We we just knew we were supposed to do what we were doing. And I tell people all the time, I didn't move to Austin to plant a church. I moved to Austin because the Lord said, where I am, there you'll be also. But I know that it was a plant a church. And so we've just made sure that Christ was the object, object. Christ was the purpose. Christ was the, the vision. Christ was the reason. And I would say to anybody planting a church or even starting a business or whatever their endeavor, that he has to be the object, the purpose, the vision. And then, by the way, uh, the outcome or the practical or whatever the uh, the actual ministry or, or vision is. So, yeah, 10... And then we're going at it now 19 years. It'll be 20 years next year. Uh, I guess there's about 16,000 people that now claim that are part of our church um, here in Austin. And and to be in a city now that a lot of the world is moving to, it's been really cool. My kids hated it that we moved from Baton Rouge, and then now they realize everybody wants to move to Austin. So uh, we're glad we did. It's it's been a ride. It's a great place. So you've been there now almost 20 years uh, and and a lot of changes. I mean, you mentioned the growth, the population, uh, culture. Uh, how do you lead change? We know the vision is strong. The mission is is powerful. It's Christ. But how do you lead? How do you lead um, how you present Christ? How do you lead change yeah. in the midst of a yeah. growing community? Yeah, I think we have to. We have to make sure that the gospel is never changed, but it is modernized. We're not speaking to people like Paul was speaking to. We're not speaking to people like it was 50 years ago, 30 years ago. It's a different day, different world. And Austin's a different city in many ways. It is now the most liberal, recognized the most liberal city in America um, in its government and uh, leadership. But I think we have to make sure that we are, we are modernizing uh in other words we're we're bringing things up to date we we joke our church called celebration but i call it change abrasion and we just know that Good. uh in any organization you 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 just have to plan for change you got to you got to plan that there's going to come seasons um you know in the book of proverbs 30 agar he writes about those four creatures they're little they're small they're insignificant but they are they are wise and he talks about the ant and and the thing about the ant is in summer prepares the ant prepares its food for the winter. In other words, that ant knows change is coming. And so we've just factored that change is going to come. Change will probably come to you. Uh, change is going to come to your own personal life. It's going to come to me. But but there are things that are never going to change. And of course, Christ and and the and, and the cross and, and and even His church and the purpose of the church, bringing the kingdom of God into the world. But as it relates to leadership, we're we're constantly 
even in our own world, we're, we're making sure we're punching. We're punching uh, ways. We're punching systems. We're punching the way we do things. Um, because this, this world is an ever-changing world. But um, if we're not, obviously we want to stay solid and committed to, to what uh, Christ told us to stay committed to. The Word doesn't change. But, but we also need to make sure we're doing speed at the speed of life and the speed that, that our surrounding culture is. Um, if you're getting on an interstate, getting on here in I-35, I- you, you better make sure you're at the speed. If you're coming on to the, uh, to the interstate from the off-ramp or on-ramp, uh, you better make sure you're at, at the same pace. You can't get on at 35 miles an hour in a 75-mile-an-hour speed zone. And you can't get on right. at ninety-five in a in a fifty. You better you better change. You got to make sure you're you're able to be in the context of where people are. So we just continue to talk about this among our staff, among our our uh, church, um, because what we we do not want to be is that church that does what typically happens to every church plant, and that is the average church plant lives the life of the founding pastor. So it runs for about 30 years because that's the length of that senior pastor founder. He goes for the first 10, it rises. Second 10, it plateaus. And then the third 10, it begins to decline. And the church goes with that, with that leader. So we've got to make sure we have young leadership. We've got, we've got people in place that are ready to take it on to the next level. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's not just one answer. You, you're just hitting this thing from all sorts of various ways right you recently uh took the church through a series called unstoppable i think it was in your 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 message unstoppable family you touched on people pleasing uh and and leadership uh what is what is one takeaway that you can give to those who struggle with with people pleasing they feel like yeah. they've just got to always please, please, please in, 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 in the way they lead or the way they relationally connect. Well, I mean, there's some, I think there's some scriptures in the story of Jesus that I often talk to pastors about or even any leaders for that matter. You know, the Lord did please people with, with the fish and with the bread. And here he was the best at fish fries and picnics and festivals. And we know up to 20,000 people are. I mean, they're following him for what he's giving them. I mean, he's, he's pleasing them, you know, with the, the loaves and the fish. And then all of a sudden he goes, today I'm changing the meal program. Today we're going to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And they went, this is not what we came out here for. And, and, and of course they said, this is a hard saying and it is a hard saying. But what he was saying is, guys, I've used, in fact, you've needed what I've given you, but now, you, you, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to be uh, aware that uh, what and what I've been doing for you cannot stay the way that it is. And of course, we know in that one day he lost all of his all of his crowd. And and then of course he sees that same look in Peter, and he goes, "Well, I can tell you're not happy either. Are you going to catch the bus with this with the last bus leaving?" And and of course Peter goes, "Where am I going to go?" Uh, I think what Jesus did along the way, and I think we have to do this in organizations, our family. He didn't preach that message every day. He didn't preach that every week. But he sure did factor in moments where he challenged even his own people. 
um, and and he challenged the motivation. He challenged the uh, the intention, the the reason, the purpose. And um, in our world, you know, I do feel like in uh, in ministry, especially, we would like to reach people. We want to bless people. Um, the problem is that not not every blessing or that which we want to bring to people is always going to come in the form of something that sounds positive or sounds what people want. And it can be your demise. I mean, you'll end up changing the church to please people. You end up changing the culture. You'll end up changing uh, your values. Um, and that's what Jesus would not do. And um, so, you know, I think Oswald Chambers said in People Pleasing, he goes, it's not what it cost uh, us in going on with the Lord. We take more consideration what it cost other people in going on with the Lord. In other words, how's that going to affect them, my decisions? Which you and I can handle the decisions we make, but we don't like the effect that it has on other people. And I think with ministry, especially wanting to be a a blesser, if you will, a life giver, if we're not careful, we can take that to mean that in every decision we make, we have to take and uh, first consider people's opinions or uh their appetites, and I think that's where we go wrong as leaders. So we're not called to give people what they want. We're called to give people what they need. And we've tried to build the church on this this pattern, right. this rhythm, if you will, of, of blessing and, and, and life-giving, which we always are all about at ARC, but at the same time not being afraid to go, okay, this may, this may cost us some people here. Uh, this may cost by this de- decision or this change. Um, it, it may upset the cart. And I don't believe in just doing it for the sake of doing it, but um, just making sure that what we're building on is solid foundation. Right. Um, That's good. Because we can pick up barnacles on the bottom of our boat along the way, and it, it takes yeah. scraping. It, I know in parenting, you can't, you can't give what the kids want. You, you'll, you'll raise wayward kids. You'll raise kids without a purpose. Right. Right. You uh, recently hosted uh, the XO Marriage Conference, and you and your wife also started, I believe it's Too Strong, which is yes. specifically for couples in ministry. What what um, some ad- relational advice that you would give people, uh, in, in married people in, in ministry right now? Well, you know, you're you're not complete, uh, competing against each other. You're 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 called to complete each other, and um, you know that was what God was giving in. Eve to Adam was completing him, and uh, the, the the often the tension in ministry, and even maybe any couple that works together or has a company together, uh, it can become very competitive. It can become very tension filled in the office, which means it's tension filled in the home in the bedroom. And I think Lori and I, after thirty years of doing this, uh, we'll be married almost thirty years next summer. And literally all 30 years working side by side in the ministry, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we've along the way just tried to put some disciplines and some habits into our marriage and into our working marriage so that it doesn't spill over into the home or or we lose our home trying to build the church. Um, you know, the techniques on date nights, you know, we there are some things we may need to talk about something, but let's let's talk about it for 10 minutes and then let's shelf it, you know. Um, and then just realizing that we each have a gift and, and we each can function in that gift um, and letting each other run in their lanes in a biblical 
but at the same time not compromising biblical standards and biblical ways as man is called to lead the home. And, um, you know, especially with husband and wife teams, the hero in it is the wife. Because uh, we do yeah. lead, we've got couples that come from all over the country to uh, attend our, we do it this small uh, kind of a round table for a couple of days. We only do about 25 couples at a time. And the thing that I tell people is that the hero is Lori. Because a lot of people think, well, that means Lori's going to speak half the time or share the pulpit half the time and makes all the half to sit. It doesn't work that way. But uh, she got, and she does understand the biblical role of, of marriage and her place. At the same time, I understand her calling. I understand what she's good at. Um, so it's a, it is a dance. Uh, and it takes a spiritual, it really does take a spiritual man or a spiritual woman to make a marriage and a married couple who work together side by side to work and then enjoy one another when they do go home. Uh, yeah. And then for the kids to see that, um, it takes a lot of death. You know, you're going you're gonna to have to die. At the same time, you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to be very aware of, of how God does wire us. And so it's just been a, it's been a real joy to work with Lori and to work and to work with these couples because our vision at ARC, Billy Hornsby, who started ARC, you know, he said, I want to plant couples. Couples was always his terminology. And we're finding more and more couples. They're, they're both needing to work in the church to get the church, especially in the early days, off the ground. Um, but it's, it's a fun, it's always a fun ride. It's never dull. And I will say this, especially to the guys who want more men to come to their, to their men's conference and their women's conference, give that up. Women will always have a bigger conference. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just some things women are going to beat you at doing. One of the couples we were working with are like, oh, well, look how big her conference is. I said, I can just tell you right now, it will always be big. Always be big. Women yeah. conference, men don't. So just, just <laughs> die, just shut up. You know. <laughs> hey, your 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 church took a stand, and I love this. Took a stand against human trafficking and participated in the Walk for Freedom event recently. Tell us about your partnership with A21, your passion to fight and bring awareness to trafficking. Yeah, you know, the church is called to speak to the age, not from the age. And I think if we're not careful, the church is speaking from it, not to it. And, um, you know, I think that's one of our responsibilities in Scripture, to stand for those that are being led to slaughter, led to die. And whether that's literally in eternal context or even in, in trafficking and Nick and Chris Kane have been very close and dear friends of ours for many, many years, even before way before the eight twenty one was started. And uh just because of friendship and out of that friendship, um and then when they began to get the call to be involved in this and of course our church, like so many hundreds and hundreds of churches around the country, <clears throat> and now, you know, not just churches, but governments are recognizing this is a great and and this is a, a serious issue that's happening in all of the major cities, especially on I-35, that up and down this corridor coming out of Mexico. There's there's quite a bit of trafficking taking place. So, you know, we took place on that, that march, but regular giving and then our people in turn, and we've got quite a few people that have traveled to be with them in Greece or in different places to be trained. And, uh, you know, I just think the church has to make sure that they're not that we're not just doing the uh, what could be very easily in America, our our, our suburban church, um, 
and it's great. Bible studies are great. Learning more about the Bible is great. Sunday school or whatever the context, small groups, that's all great. But where's the engagement? Um, where where are people really engaging in, in spiritual forces and, and dealing with culture? And, and I think that's one of the things that's so great about A21 is they, they will they give you a place to, to engage. That's good. Uh, a couple more questions before we close our conversation out with our quick uh, fire round of uh, questions. Hey, you, you often work uh, with a lot of young people. Uh, what What's some advice, uh, leadership advice that you'd give uh, young people who maybe they've recently graduated from college or they're just starting out in their calling in their career? Yeah. You know, pay your dues. Um, be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to to uh, take the time that it's going to require to go and to get where you want to go. Um, I have a son that's in Capitol Hill. He works for uh, a congressman out of Texas. And um, Mason, at 27, is doing some pretty cool things, but he was willing to go in at a level that was as low as you can go and and in a, in a relatively short amount of time. His gift is making room for him and uh, is now doing things that he thought was going to take another 10 years to do. My other son is a coach that was at Mississippi State and then uh, Arizona State with Herm Edwards. And he's now the offensive coordinator for Dino Duran at Evangel. At at 22 years old, he's the OC. And Mm -hmm. uh, But Connor stepped in uh, with Mississippi State at an entry level and was happy to do it. You know, David delivered pizza, Dr. Engel. The first pizza in the Bible is David delivering <laughs> 10 cheeses and loaves of bread to his brothers on the front line. That's a pizza. If, that, if nothing right. else is a That's pizza, good. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it literally was the delivery of a pizza that put him, that put him on the front line. And there, of course, there's Goliath. We've got to be willing to deliver pizza. Uh, we've got to be willing to do whatever we're we're called to do and 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 again the goal and the motivation we didn't move to Austin to have a big church we didn't move here to have a lot of people or to even plant campuses around the world we came here because we love Jesus and we love people and if that meant getting here and the lord said guess what you're going to drive for dominoes well that's fine <laughs> uh, or you're going to you're going to be portable for 10 years that's fine I just want to make sure we're the best version of ourselves um and i would say to any leader uh it's it's going to take time, and that's okay. Uh, right. God takes time to develop leaders. Now, you might be able to get what you want faster, but in the end, the Bible says an inheritance gained too fast is not blessed in the end. And I would say enjoy the journey. Yeah. Because um, I can remember sitting in the backyard going, God, when are you going to use me? Uh, literally, I can tell you where I was at the moment I said it. And the Lord just, the thought came to me. You're going to beg one day to be in this backyard with nothing to do. And I look back and go, man, how true that was and how fast it was. So, you know, life is fast, but the leadership journey can be slow. But in yeah. the end, it's worth it. It's it's worth it. Take your time. And one one final question before we close out here. Uh, serving, you know, in full-time ministry is rewarding. Uh, but as you know, and as you've kind of talked about, it can be unpredictable as a leader who's planted, um, successful growing church, what fuels you to keep going each 
and every day? What is it that drives you? Well, honestly, it's the word. I mean, um, in the beginning was the word and nothing comes to pass and nothing takes place without the word. And um, for me, that has always been from the day I really knew I was called to ministry and, and gave my life to the to the call of ministry, not just to the call of salvation. That word just became my bread. And and I love leadership books. One of my best friends is as well as yours, John Maxwell. John and I are very close. He mentors me and just, you know, but you can't live on leadership words. You can't live on leadership books. You can read books on organization, books on systems and um you know, Chris Hodges, the best in the world at systems uh, and how to do this and how to do that. But I'm going to tell you, all of that, if you don't have a, if you don't have the word that is moving you, you know, you can, you can turn over a parking lot in 30 minutes, but I'm going to tell you, that will not feed your soul. That will, you know, how to do a growth or connection or your, your tracks. All of that's wonderful and you can grow great churches, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're growing your soul. So I would say, Growing your soul through the word, uh, making sure that that is what is the fuel. Because out of that comes compassion for people. Out of that comes the desire for excellence. Out of that comes the motivation uh, to keep getting up. Out of that comes the understanding that Jesus died doing this. Uh, I mean, he, he was crucified. He, you know, and he said, guys, they didn't like me. They're not going to like what makes you think they're going to like you. Uh, I mean, I just think everything we need, we we can find through that living word. And uh, I would say to any leader in or out of vocational ministry, don't just approach the Bible as uh, as your one minute daily scripture reading. Just realize it's it's your bread basket. I mean, it is your lunch meal. I mean, it's your counter, man. It's so for me. Sure, there's days you get tired, but I can see that in the scripture as well. I know why they got tired. Um, when you look at Elijah and he got alone and there he was by himself and the Lord says, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee and you're in here all, all by yourself thinking you're the only one. And then think about the size of Israel. Think about the, the geographical size of Israel or the, the location in which Elijah was living in. And there he was complaining about being all by himself. And the Lord says, I got 7,000. How come you haven't met any of these people? Like how hard would it be not to run into a prophet? And yeah. that tells me right there, Elijah, this is on you. This is not on me. This is not ministry. You've disconnected from people. You're not doing life with people. You're trying to do this by yourself. So get out of your little pity part. So anyway, <laughs> things like that, that's, that helps me. I read, and it reads me as we know what the Bible is supposed to do. And uh, I know when I get out of my Bible, Dr. Engel, I get out of line. That's yeah. just the truth. Yeah. It really no, is. Good. Good wisdom. Well, uh, let's close out this conversation. Three quick questions. I always ask every guest. Uh, and uh, here we go. The first one is, let's say you have a day when your calendar is clear and you've been mandated uh, to have a perfect day off. What's a perfect day off look like yeah. for you? <laughs> well, of course, you know, you got to put the you got to put the private time in there, my little quiet time. <laughs> and then after that, uh, my workout, I'd love to get on my bike for an hour be it a recumbent bike or a spinner bike, a Peloton bike, and uh, maybe about 20 minutes of a little lifting and then hit the golf course. I live on a golf course. And so 
playing golf with a group of guys that I'm actually going to be playing with today. So that's, that is a perfect day. And then followed by dinner with Lori, um, uh, going to a movie or, or even trying to catch a concert or a venue down here in Austin is fantastic. Yeah. That's a great day. Okay. What historical leader living or dead would you most like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with? T Austin Sparks. Uh, he was uh, a man that uh, came out of England. Well, he died uh, early 70s, 71. He was, uh, he pastored a traditional Baptist church and had a revelation to Christ. Really influenced men like Watchman Nee, very Watchman Nee-like um, in his approach to Christ and revelation to Christ. Uh, spoke with people around the world, you know, the Jesse Penn Lewis's and uh, Alan Redpaths of, of his time. And I would say he would be the first uh, that I would like to sit down because nobody's probably influenced me more than, than he has, especially from his writings and his, and his works. And then Churchill, uh, from a just a pure leadership context, I'd love to. Uh, I'm a, a lover of uh, of Winston Churchill and, and and his leadership. Yeah, those be great conversations. Final question: What's the next big goal you want to accomplish? You know, um, we've got. I, I just see the campuses um, beginning to to merge here in Austin. We've got a large piece of property with large buildings. Which we've kind of felt like that was part of the stewardship. We just purchased a brand new building downtown Austin, about a mile from UT. Um, the goal would be many goals, but I guess to put it all under one umbrella, it's just to continue to expand and to plant campuses in the Austin Metroplex. We've got another one starting in Dripping Springs, which is southwest. Um, and which means requiring leadership. You know, the goal is have a pipeline of leaders, which by the way, our Southeastern University at Celebration Church is thriving, and that's why we're doing what we're doing with Southeastern. Oh, wow, that's great! Is uh, we're having we're just having an amazing opportunity to draw leaders to our church and to the university there at Southeastern at our campus. That is uh, creating a pipeline for us to to plant more and more uh, expressions of celebration. Well, thank you. It's a privilege to uh, come alongside you and partner with you in raising up, you know, great sons and daughters of the house to lead the way. It's been awesome. Yeah. Hey, appreciate, man. You're you uh, you're such an empowering and mentoring leader, and I just just love how sensitive you are in the way that you lead. You you are strong at proclaiming truth, but you understand how to to proclaim that truth in the midst of a changing context and just grateful for you thank you for uh sitting down and have a conversation with me today well thank you for all you do and honestly your leadership your podcast which i listen to has had a great effect upon me and and your leadership around the world uh is spoken of and uh Hey, whatever good is about me, it's it's Jesus and Dr. Engel. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Hey, to stay up to date with Joe and <laughs> to stay up to date with Joe and all that's happening at Celebration Church, you can connect with him on Instagram at Joe Champion. That's at Joe Champion, or you can visit celebration.church. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast, Framework Leadership.